Okay, look, emotions are running high. <laughs> Hasn't even been a week since Red Taylor's version came out, which means I've barely processed the all-too-well 10-minute version, Taylor's version from The Loft, or the short film. I don't know what's going to happen today. I just, you know, I might be okay. I'm can, not fine at all. I have no idea. Can I, I tell you a secret? What? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Hi, Julia Bentavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. What are you talking about? I'm talking about All Too Well. What is that? I will tell you this off air because they are going to okay. come for you like they're all coming for Jake Gyllenhaal right now. And if you don't know what that means, I can't help you, girl. You guys, if you want more of this nonsense, join us on Patreon. Over 200, 300 ad-free, full bonus ad-free, full bonus ad-free, full bonus ad-free. Ooh, what is that? What a little, that was a little... It was a little Miranda. Some bars. Yes. You got some bars here. Uh, yeah, it's all... It's nonsense like this, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then ad-free versions of all those things, like the long-form stuff, like The Vow and Night Stalker and uh, The Jinx. I keep saying the Lacey Peterson doc. It's the thing that made people maybe think that Scott Peterson was maybe innocent. Or didn't have a fair trial. Yeah, or... also the Menendez murders, same thing. It's Eric Menendez on the phone from prison and, like, explaining, like, yes, we did it, but here's why. See, that's more clear-cut to me. Yeah. I know where I stand more on that one. But there's so much. Like, there's just so much happening. There are ad-free versions of these episodes, after parties, interviews with some cool people. Oh, yeah. And, our, uh, old, our old interview with Asia McClain Chapman. Yes. This alibi for Adnan and, and if that doesn't get you, yeah. I'm going to say three words. Sure. Lou La Rich. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my That's God. all I'm saying. Yeah, we're finishing up heist today. By the time you hear this, maybe we'll be into Lou La Rich. I think we might be. Who oh the hell God. knows? But it's, ha- it's either happening or it's going to happen. Yeah. Lastly, join us on the Instagram. I'm just really flogging the Instagram lately. Yeah, so it's True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Yeah, it's really, it's really fun over there. I think we have a nice time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Bad Henry on ID. Can I say one thing right at the top? That you hate Henry? Well, my thing is this. My first note, because I didn't know anything about this, is I really don't know anything about this except the fact that this Henry guy might be a serial killer. And so could we maybe have a title that like implies he's done something worse than a dog eating a slipper? Bad Henry. Bad Henry. Bad. Bad yeah, Henry. but at least it's not like sexy Night Stalker Henry. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's bad. At the very least, he's bad. I will say the reenactment actor playing Henry is very sexy. Just the reenactment actor. That's as far as I'm going. It's still too close for comfort to me. <laughs> this coming up on is super intense. This voiceover is out of control. Yeah. Take I a breath. Know. Two women are dead. Victims of an unknown suspect. Detective Gary McFadden investigated hundreds of murders in his storied career with Charlotte PD. The killer is out there somewhere. If given the chance, he could strike again. But this one was different. Four victims in three weeks, all young black women, all strangled. I had no idea how important this case was going to be. I had no idea how much this case was going to cause us chaos. Whoever killed these women was cold-bloodedly calm. 25 years later, detectives unravel the case that still haunts Charlotte today. Information indicates that this person was responsible for the murder of 10 women. A murder spree that left 10 families looking for justice. 25 years and there's still no words to describe what I felt. Police worried this could be a serial strangler. So we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's a body coming out of a house. Yeah, so we're with Gary McFadden, and he's the cop who got to the bottom of this, whatever this is. Yeah. And he essentially tells us right at the top, like, I had no idea how much chaos there would be, Tom. I didn't know. <laughs> I, know. I did not know back in the spring of 94. And this is where we get the first VO that's like, When spring comes to Charlotte in 1994, so does murder. When spring comes to Charlotte in 1994, so does murder. And I'm like, what? What? Also, it's March 10th. It's barely spring. <laughs> it's not even spring. It's not even, like, officially winter, not even spring. Officially. Can we not do that? But this guy, Detective Gary, he's like our lead detective here. Yeah. He says, Well, at first when he said that we had a body, you know, that's a common thing. I got a body. Everybody gets a body if you're working in homicide. But when I walked in that apartment and I looked in Stan's bare eye, I knew we were going to have a problem at that point. Stanberry's the detective on the scene. Gary gets there, looks in his eye, and said, I knew we were going to have a problem. I thought he meant with Stanberry. I thought so, too. I thought Stanberry was a dick. See, now I also have Stansberry. Oh, I do, too. You're correct. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Let they, the women do the work, America. Uh, thank Let you. Let the women do the work. Thank you. Sometimes they're very small jobs like that one. Um, <laughs> other times they're not. So they also have real Detective Gary in his own reenactments. I, I know. Which is 
phenomenal. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think he's like, if I'm here and I have to relive this Carl show, can I just be in can it I at least? Do, yeah. Dude, like, you know what? We weren't going in that direction, but it's going to save us a background and actor. And it's really just him looking around sadly. Yeah. You know, like, not like it's a poor performance. I'm saying he's just like, oh, fuck. Like, he's just reliving it all over again. You know, the thing about Gary, too, is he's real honest about everything. He like, is. I fucking love this guy. Yeah. Well. No? Um. Okay, we'll get there. It's okay to disagree. I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> I'll meet you over there. Okay, I don't great, know. Great, great. So our first victim is 18-year-old Brandy Henderson, and she's a black woman, and yes. that's important. All of the victims here are black women. Yes. In this documentary. And her boyfriend had went to work and had come back home around midnight. Doors unlocked, which Brandy. he found alarming at that point. He found that the living room was disturbed, like something had taken place in there. Brandy was in the bedroom, laying on the bed on her back. Uh, with a ligature around her neck. And we see the crime scene photos. It's like a fucking mess. Like, there was a big struggle in there. There's also a baby. I know. There's also, like, I a know. baby crying. And we learn that the boyfriend is the father of the baby and also finds, like, a ligature around the baby's neck. The baby is alive. The baby has to also towels around his neck. So the baby's name is Tyrese. He's 10 months old. The boyfriend yeah. is Lamar. Yeah. And Detective Gary is like, look, it's not a problem because it's a murder. I deal with murders all the time. They're my job. But, like, oh there's a, this one was a little different. And I was like, Gary, right out of the gate, and huh? And also, like, look, it was a body. And, like, bodies are fine. If you work homicide, you're always going to get bodies. Gary. <laughs> and let me say something. I'm so sorry. This ju- I just, oh my God. Tyrese is okay. The, the baby yeah, is okay. Yeah, yeah, I said that, but I'm glad you Great. said it again. I, just, yeah. I, I was like, I need to scream I that. Know, so Lamar, the boyfriend, saves Tyrese's life. I will say in the reenactment, the baby is crying the whole time. It's and I was, a lot. Also, as a parent, it was a lot. I was like, okay. like Oh, I, I thought I, parents are just like, I love that sound. No. I thought I was the only monster who's <laughs> like, I fucking hate the sound of babies I crying. I love the sound of my baby screaming. No, but it's like, it's, oh, like, oh, like they're screaming because they need to, or whatever. But like, it's well, a piercing, it's a piercing sound. Sometimes parents will lie and say they just don't hear it because they're so used to it. That's not a thing. They're lying all the time. That's okay. They can lie. They've been through a lot. They have a kid. That's true. (laughs) They need a break. But Detective Gary is saying, look. So initial pressure would be a robbery. You know, we have to think this is 1990s crack epidemic. Everybody's a crackhead. Everybody's looking for something so they can sell on the street. But in talking to Stansberry, he says, you know, three weeks ago, I had another murder with a black female with a towel around her neck, just like Brandon Henderson. A few weeks earlier, there was a murder and the scene was almost exactly the same. Yeah. It was a black woman. She was strangled. And this happened only eight miles away from Brandy's apartment. And so Gary's like, if we get one strangulation a year, it's a lot. So oh more God. than one, just a couple weeks apart. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. I got to tell you, though, that was like interesting information. Like you hear about homicide rates, but you don't know how people are killing each other. Oh, God. I, well, I, don't... <laughs> I know you're so right. But when I'm you put it that way. Like an anthropological. No, you know I, what you're I mean? absolutely right. But to think about like that's someone's job to like live in that yeah. all the time. So that's why Gary's like, murder's murder. I know that. I'm like, Gary. Bodies are bodies. It's so jarring yeah. to me, but like he's thinking about it as like trying to solve the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a world. You guys are wearing world. headphones for the first time in years and it feels very professional. I feel like I'm screaming more because I'm muffled and you're muffled a little. So Wait, I'm like, turn what? up the volume so that we're not muffled. Pump up the volume? Yeah. Oh, is that better? You, oh, there she is. I was like, why does she feel so far? There's that laugh. Okay, great. <laughs> Coming home. And the snort, too. Delicious. Great. You know what? You guys, we did an interview with that podcast, Scam Goddess, the other night. Stay tuned. I was snorting my face off. You were. I was like, every two seconds, I was like, oh, on TCO, they think it's cute. Yeah, it's a shame that you don't have more friends that do stand up because you are the best person to have in the front row of anything. And I get you in the front row of my life. It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Somebody make me a t shirt that says in the front row of Jillian's life. It's true. You are. Oh, that's so sweet. So the victim he's talking about, her name is Shauna. Hawk, and it was February 19th, mm-hmm. 1993. It was about a year before Brandy was murdered. And we meet Shauna's mom, Dee. This woman is not to be fucked with. Okay, first of all, her <laughs> name is Dee Sumpter, but it's Misty. Yes. How dare oh you? My God. Misty, if you're or, nasty, and we all are. Or ma'am, if you're her daughter. Right. So, Dee is not to be fucked with at all. Not and she's very with. serious, as she should be. Yes, I'm not course. saying that, but she says things like It was a freezing cold day. I awakened, Shauna awakened. Mom, we're leaving in five. She had a full day that day. She was guide mommy to a little two-year-old. She had to drop German off at daycare, and then she had two classes. Shauna had a busy day. She was dropping her godson off at daycare, and then Shauna went to school. And then after school, she was working a full shift at Taco Bell. And then doing what? And then she was picking German up at daycare. Who is? 
her godson. Why does she have so many responsibilities with her godson? It's like she's feeding him breakfast while she's getting ready for her day. Then, then she's dropping him off at daycare. Then she's picking him up from daycare. And I, in between that, she's going to school and working yeah, yeah. a full shift. Clearly, there's somebody in her life that she's helping, and that is amazing. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a lot of fucking responsibility for your, like, not even your own child. Yeah, like this young woman who's, like, clearly has a lot on her plate. But then also, we meet Shauna's godmother, so it seems like godmothers are very big in this community. Right. No one has ever asked me to be the godmother to their child. I'm available. I think I am. Okay. I'm That's the thing you should it. know. Because, you know, they say that, like, godparents are the ones who get the kids if the parents die. Did you know that? Uh, well, Mike's also a godfather. <laughs> yeah, you get the kids if the parents die. That's how that works. My godfather's fucking badass, so I'm good. Okay. You're also a grown I'm adult. also fine. Yeah, you get to stay living in your own house. But I understand this? why my parents picked my godfather is what I'm saying, right? So Dee gets home from work that night at 5.15. Shauna's not there, but nothing seems out of place. And the phone rings, and it's Shauna's boyfriend, Darren. And Dee is like, girl, have, which is how I assume she speaks to the boyfriend. Absolutely. Girl, have you seen Shauna? And Darren's like, no, that's why I'm calling. I haven't heard from her all day. Yeah. So then there's another call and it's the godson's mother. Yes. And Shauna never picked German up from daycare. So, okay. Okay. All the the sirens are going off. The red flags are in the air. So clearly something's up. So mom clicks. There's a call waiting situation. I texted Jillian this sentence this morning. Mom clicks back over to boyfriend Darren and she goes, I need you over here. Get here in five minutes. And Darren comes (laughs) over and she goes, I was waiting for him at the door. Just standing in the doorway. Like, what the fuck took you so long? It's been 32 seconds. Unacceptable. And she says to him, I was waiting for him at the door. When he came in, I said, listen, I don't have time for foolishness. If something happened, talk. I just texted Julie this morning. I don't have time for foolishness. Yeah. If something happened, talk. Talk. <laughs> just start talking. That's your, it. Your queens is coming out a little bit. Do you hear it? Talk. Oh. Well, she's angry. <laughs> I, I don't know why that was a correlation. And Darren goes, Miss D, I don't feel well. Something isn't right. And D essentially says, yeah, no shit. Yeah. And so D and Darren don't know what to do. They're searching the whole house well, for her. Well, Darren is searching the house and D is kind of standing at the front door. All of a sudden, she sees him go into the bathroom and Darren like screams. And then he's screaming, Miss D, call 911. And what he says is, yeah. Sean is in the bathtub and the water is cold and Miss D needs a break and so do I honestly like I I can't imagine what it was like for her to say those words so at 7.48 that night the first responders arrive at the house and they try to resuscitate Shauna D is hysterical like that's the word she uses Yeah. and they're like girl you gotta calm down you gotta calm down they take Shauna to the hospital and that's when the homicide detectives arrive on this scene and so Detective Gary's there and he's like every crime scene tells a story so as homicide detective we stand back look at the crime scene and let the crime scene talk to us. I'm going to let the crime scene talk to us. And I'm like, yeah, we know. But basically... <laughs> I kind of loved what he said. I do too, He's but like, like every detective says that. I, you let the crime scene... He's it's like, a great every, line. Yeah, every crime scene tells a story. But essentially, this story was a fucking snooze fest. Like, it was super neat. It was really clean. Yeah. And Detective Gary says again, like, also doesn't mince words. Yeah. As, you know, like Miss D. But he goes, if we didn't have a body in the hospital, I just think someone ran a bath. <laughs> this was super boring. Like, nothing valuable to them in terms of solving this case. Because, like, there's no sign of struggle or forced entry, so who Whoever the person was that did this to Shauna, like Shauna would have known the assailant and let that person in. That's a major clue. Because they're like, Shauna was very cautious, very careful. She wasn't the kind of person who would like let a stranger into the house. Right, exactly. So, and then they also say that this person kind of knew what they were doing here. Yeah. So Shauna's pronounced dead at the hospital and it's so sad. And the next day the, the autopsy report comes in and it appears that there was no sexual assault. Yeah. And she was strangled. And so the cops are trying to connect these two stranglings now, right? Because yeah. Brandy was unorganized. The place was a mess. There was a baby there. And Shauna was kind of the opposite. And Shauna was a year before Brandy. So it was a very clean scene. So like, how can they combine these? And why is he getting messier? Right. Because the Brandy scene is the most recent one. And that's where everything was tipped over and everything was a wreck. And they go back to the Shauna case. And like at the scene of Shauna's murder, everything had been wiped down to get rid of fingerprints, to not leave any marks, to make it look like the scene wasn't disturbed at all. Right. So eight weeks later, a security guard finds Shauna's car at the community college where she was a student. That means the cops weren't looking for it, right? Because remember, Shauna, we knew her schedule that day. Right, like eight weeks Sh- later. And like, Shauna was going to school. We knew where she had been. Like, why does it take eight weeks for not even the cops, but the campus police to find her car? I know. Because the car had dust all over it, mm-hmm. so it was placed there, right? And so, Detective Gary's like, you know, I love processing a car because you can find that little golden nugget. In this situation, I looked at the seat. The seat is all the way back. Shauna is 5'2". That means the seat would have been up some. He never adjusted the seat back to Shauna's height. 
So it's somebody taller than 5'2". I got a golden nugget here. You know what would have been great? If you could have found that golden nugget eight weeks earlier. Honestly. So here's what they find. The seat was all the way pushed back. So Sean is 5'2", so the seat would be pretty close to the steering wheel. Like, murderers are such idiots. We hear this every single fucking time. So what they're saying is, just so that it's clear, this person was super tall because the seat was farther away from the steering wheel. He goes, Detective Gary, who I think is very smart, goes, so we knew it was someone taller than 5'2". I got a golden nugget right here. And I said, great, we know the murderer was not an incredibly short man. You, great. We know that the murderer wasn't Shauna. Right. I mean, like, 5'2 is very small for a man. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, so, like, like, we haven't really ruled out anybody. Also, just side note, Detective Gary's tie is pretty great. I'm just going to say, it's very colorful. I didn't notice. Tell I liked everything. it. I liked it. He did the thing that we asked. He ran a goddamn comb through his hair. He knew he was going to be interviewed. He knew he was going to get himself to be his own background actor. Yeah. I mean, it's a gray suit. Yeah. And the tie has, like, blues and purples and greens. I really like it. It means, right. apropos of nothing, I just like the tie. I, my eye caught it, and I was like, nice tie, guy. <laughs> Gare. <laughs> so they keep testing the car for DNA, like prints, fibers, the works, and they can tell that this person wiped their prints. But also... This is big. This is really scary, too. Yeah. They find out that her car was parked in her usual parking spot, so right. they knew where she usually parked, so she was being stalked. Yeah, and so that's my other thing, is that they're like, well, this person must have known her because she let him in, but then they also say, no, she was stalked and followed, so did he not know her? The point is, we're not really getting anywhere with the investigation. Right, so the case goes cold, until yeah. <laughs> they find out that one of their missing persons cases was actually a friend of Shauna's, and yes. her name is Caroline Love, she's 20 years old, and this is back in 1990. Yeah, so we meet her sister, Kathy, and Kathy is fucking awesome. Yeah. And they work together at Bojangles, and she says, Kathy's like, Two of us were inseparable. We would go to church. We went to school together. So, I mean, we're inseparable. On June 15th, Kathy takes three days off to celebrate her birthday. When she returns to work, she learns some frightening news. The manager pulled me aside and said, Caroline hasn't been to work in three days. We were best friends. We were totally inseparable. Except for the three days I took off to celebrate my birthday fucking without her. You know what? Do you, Kathy? Three, she took three days off to celebrate her birthday. And you know what? I've kind of had it with my sister for these three days. She's not invited. <laughs> We are inseparable, but she's not coming on the trip. Yeah, I don't know if it you was know, like a personal day. Like, I'm just taking like a mental health situation for my birthday. I, I don't feel know. that way about my sisters. I love them. I don't need them on every vacation, girl. Yeah, your birthday's your day. Totally. Also, choose. Kathy looks like she knows how to have a good time. You know what I mean? I mean, three days off for her birthday. I know. <laughs> so, but she gets back to work after those three days, and the manager pulls her aside and is like, um, your sister hasn't been to work since you left. Also, did he tell anybody else, or did he wait the three days till her sister got back? I know. Also, here's like, I'm going to help you nurse that hangover by giving you the worst news of your life? I know. Who is this guy? I know. So this is important. Caroline's sister, Kathy, and Caroline's roommate and Caroline's roommate's boyfriend all go to report her missing. All three of them do it. Right. It doesn't feel important now, but it will later. It kind of did in the moment. I was like, you guys are slowing down on this. I'm paying attention. Right. So it's the sister, the roommate, and the roommate's boyfriend. This is how I, I end up not getting lost in things because I'm so dumb by the end of these. Sometimes I'm like, wait, what wait. happened? <laughs> I know that there was a moment I should have paid attention to. The roommate's boyfriend paid attention to that. <laughs> so they report Caroline missing. So Detective Gary gets the case, and he actually happens to know one of Caroline's family members. So he talks to that person, and he finds out that a different family member named Rob Ross, not to be confused with Bob Ross. No, 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 no. Not Don't even confuse close. them. Not even close. He had seen Caroline walking down the street on her way home from work. He picked her up and dropped her off at her apartment, and that's the last time anybody mm-hmm. saw her. Tony Rice, who's in charge of the case, he and yeah. Detective Gary are like, The person in charge of that case was Tony Rice. And when I've talked to Tony, we first believed that Caroline just got tired of of family drama and just took a couple of days off and just went away and got a hotel room just to chill out. They say, like, she maybe she disappeared on purpose. And I said, this is never the answer. But also, for like, she to get a hotel room and just, like, take a beat. <laughs> and then never come back. And just be like, you right. know what? I think I'll stay. Like, that, what? That's what I'm saying. In every missing persons case we cover on OWD, there's always five minutes of this. Yes. Maybe they left on purpose. It's no. never that. Also, why are you not interrogating the fucking last guy that saw her alive within an inch of his life? I have a couple questions for the Bojangles manager. I'm not <laughs> saying he's involved. I just want to sit him down. But, like, the guy that picked her up in the middle of the night and dropped her off at home. You know what? He probably didn't do it. Probably not. She probably went away on her own. To get away from family drama. Right. Please. (laughs) Kathy seems like no drama Kathy. That's what they call her. Right. So Gary tells us that around the time Caroline went missing, there were four or five other women that were reporting missing. And he's like, and we had no trace of them. Plus the two murders. Yes. And Gary goes, we knew we had a problem, but we didn't know how big that problem was. 
Gary, this is a big enough problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't like it. You like his tie, but you don't like the man. I just think a problem's a problem. Yeah. Right. This is a problem. <laughs> a murder is a problem. I know yes. you're desensitized to it, but like one murder is bad <laughs> enough. I don't know how many times I have to say. So. Then, you know what, you guys? She makes a goddamn good point. I'm just saying. Yeah. So then we hear about Sharon Nance. And Detective Gary knew her personally from years and years before. I love the way Gary tells this story. Do you? I love it. Because he says, look, it was 1978 was when I moved to Charlotte. I come out of the bus station and the second person I met was Sharon Nance. And I went, well, who was the first person, Gary? Yeah, the bus driver. <laughs> totally. He's very, he gets super Southern in this moment because we just did heist and they're yeah. talking about the Van Winkle. And Yo, so he's like, it was raining. So I gave her my umbrella. She was standing out on the street corner and it was kind of raining, misty. I'm a country kid, you know, wanted to show some respect. So I just popped up my umbrella and said, young lady, I think that you need an umbrella. And here you go. She was dressed pretty nice, kind of provocative. I didn't know her line of work, just wanted to show her some kindness. Sharon Nance was my friend. Obviously, he's saying now I know she was a sex worker, yes. but he he looked at the camera and says Sharon Nance was my friend. That re- I have that highlighted too. Yes. Even now, I have like chills thinking about it. It's a very very sweet yes. and important thing to be said. Yes, a million percent. So in 1992, her body was found just outside city limits, and basically, like there was a work crew cleaning up the roads. This guy goes to pee. Is that what he was doing? If he's cleaning up the roads, why okay. is he <laughs> in the woods? Right. He's looking for a place to pee. Oh my God, the Mister S from Syria of it all. Only this guy, I think, was fully clothed. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. And they realized- Alonzo Sellers, you guys. Yeah. Flasher. Oh, God. Mr. S. Come on. And this is horrible. And it's horrible for Gary because she was his friend. And she wasn't killed there, but this is like a very- It's a rage killing. It's horrible. Yes. It's horrible. He says there was like a lot of blunt trauma mm-hmm. to the face and to the head. It was very, very bad. There are no witnesses, no weapon, and very little forensic evidence for how brutal and violent this murder was. Yeah. And remember, it's like the early 90s. Like, we weren't great with forensic evidence at that point. And at the time, so we meet Angela Wright Shannon. She's a reporter and she's like let me tell you something there was this sense of growing fear because the number of black women who were disappearing or found murdered was beginning to climb steadily one of the homicide detectives asked me to write about the missing women he was really concerned that maybe they were seeing a pattern and so the cops are like, can you write about this case? Can you write about these cases? Maybe you can help us figure out a pattern here. And I got to say, like, other than Gary, there's a lot of, like, white men working on the cases. And they seem to care. You know what I mean? They seem to care. I mean, they, yeah. they form a task force. They use the FBI, ATF, state resources. They're looking for similarities. You know, did the women know each other? Did yeah. they have similar jobs? Were they dressed the same? Like, they're really grasping at every single straw out I there. I mean, the whole thing where they dress the same, he's asking, were they all sex workers? Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, But the one common thread they find sort of is sex work yes they weren't all sex work but it was the only thing that like a couple of them had in common so they're trying to that's their connection here but they also like quickly determined that it's not a serial killer they're like nah it doesn't seem to us like a serial killer it seems like a bunch of like random acts of violence right and so we're learning that like you know Caroline loves she was not a sex worker but they still think she's connected to this somehow because she was quote last seen on the street yeah and what's happening is that like some of these women the bodies aren't being found and and this is a major problem because the families aren't getting any closure at all. They're yeah. getting zero information. Like, their loved one is just missing. We have Dee with us, who's Shauna's mother. And she's very adamant the cops don't care. They're not yeah. doing enough. But then we have Gary with us and the other cops. And it seems like they're doing a lot. Yeah. And I, it's like, oh, the truth I tend, is in the middle somewhere. Exactly. And I tend know? to believe Dee that even if they were doing a lot, the communication was probably not great. And you know what? I'm going to say I believe Dee no matter what. Because yeah. she's the kind of lady you call ma'am. And when she says, you fucking be here in five minutes, you be there in four minutes. Five minutes is a minute late. A minute late. And also, I just keep thinking about that dusty car that was found eight weeks later. I mean, they weren't looking for it. Like, come on. Right. In exactly the place we knew she last was. What? Right. So we learned that by 1993, the city of Charlotte is really growing, but so is the crime rate. Crack cocaine made an entrance into this town, and the streets were uh, very bloody. You couldn't even go into the grocery store. It was crazy. I don't know how to put how to describe it. You couldn't even go into the grocery store. It was crazy. I was and like, I'm what like, does that mean, Gary? Can you elaborate, Gary? <laughs> what are you talking about? You really have a chip on your shoulder for Gary. I, I would know. just like to know what it means <laughs> that you can't go food shopping. I, know. I can I can think of many reasons why that would be, but yeah. then I'm just speculating. Like, Gary, you can't drop a bomb like that and then be like, mm, sorry, moving on. I think what he's saying is like it was you couldn't do anything. It was that dangerous. It was that bad. And they're just saying the homicide detectives were completely overworked. One of the detectives says to us, like, the call would come in and I would say to my wife, All right, I'll see you 
you when I see ya. There was like 16 detectives dealing with over 100 murders a year. They were just working around the clock. Yeah, and the and the number of black women who are going missing or getting murdered are just, it's again, rising steadily and there's no connections. Yeah. It's horrible. And the families are like in pieces. They're super upset. They want answers. They want something. So Miss D decides to take action. Because she's like at her sister's house and all the people around Miss D are like, we love you so much. We cannot watch you go through this for another second. Yeah. Like she's just sobbing through her weekends. And it's Judy Williams, Shauna's godmother. Yeah. So Miss D starts the Mothers of Murdered Offspring. We came up with the name Mothers of Murdered Offspring. In that year alone, the most homicides that have ever occurred in the history of this city happened. Our goal was to just really be there to help other families because there was nobody for us. Now it's June 25th, 1993. Another young black woman is murdered. Her name is Audrey Spain. It's another strangulation. In her bedroom. And now this is four months after Shauna's case. So again, no forced entry. Is it someone she knows? All the suspects they have are cleared. And guess what? Say with me, everybody. The case goes cold. And then September 15th, 1993. Here we go. A fucking gen. Another woman is found dead. Her name is Michelle Stinson. And she's found in her apartment by a friend. There were two young kids there that weren't hurt, but they also like couldn't give any information. Right. And so... Michelle was also strangled, but she was also stabbed, too. Again, no forced entry, and it's like the crimes are getting more brutal. But the thing is, they're getting closer together, too. So Audrey Spain's home is a half mile away from Caroline Love's apartment and three miles from Michelle Stinson's house. So it's all in the same area. And they're also getting closer together in time. Because whereas it was like a year between murders, now it's like months between murders. Right, and Gary's like... They're all on the east side of the city. Now we got a proximity of these women. But at this time, we are just looking at these cases as individual homicides. In hindsight, it looks like there was a connection. Well, in hindsight, yeah, it does look, yeah, I do see that there was a connection there yeah. in hindsight. And we also learned that these last two victims, there didn't seem to be signs of sexual trauma, so like it didn't seem like there was a sexual assault, but they sent DNA and blood samples off anyway, and they remember how the, the crime rate in Charlotte was so high because of the massive murder rate, so there's a huge backlog at the lab, so like if the murderer's DNA is in the system, they're not going to know for years anyway, and I'm just like, everything works in the murderer's favor. Yeah. Everything. And the backlog.org. I'll say it a thousand times. Oh my God. And it's so frustrating to hear this because it's like there's a serial killer at work and they have no idea. Right. right. You know, like hearing yeah. it now yeah. being told to us by ID, thank you so much. Right. It's just like, <laughs> obviously. And it seems so obvious. Yeah, exactly. Now, Miss D, Shauna's mom, decides to write a letter to, as she calls him, the then unknown killer of Shauna. And she has the letter and she says, Can I read it? Please. And someone behind the camera, they can't say it fast enough. Please! I know. They really just want her to get these words out. And she basically says, like, I do not hate you for what purpose that would serve. However, I do want you to come forth and confess to this horrible atrocity you have committed. I don't hate you. What I purpose know. would that serve? And I'm like, no, she's right, though. I know. God damn it. Remember when we used to, like, disallow ending on forgiveness? I don't think she's forgiving him at all. <laughs> no. She's like, I'm not going to waste my fucking hate on you, motherfucker. Just give me some closure. I you know. know what I mean? And she publishes it on Shauna's anniversary. Thank you, Kim Goldman, for that but vo- she's, vocab word. She's also holding press conferences. Like, this is where she's, like, vocally and publicly saying that the police don't care. And it cuts to Gary, and he's like, press conferences were all right with me, but this press conference that D sumped the hell I felt it was directly to me because I was handling her daughter's case. But Dee needed to know at this point, we wanted the same thing. We wanted the person who killed her daughter brought to justice. He was like, I felt personally attacked. I know. He was like, because she's talking about me. And yeah. I think he felt that way too because he's a black man and yes. he doesn't want people to think that like he also doesn't care. And at one point, all these fucking white police officers were like, well, we had to pick a spokesperson from the police side. I know. We picked Gary because he seemed to be the one that like to, like talked the best to the cameras. Fuck off. You picked the black guy. Yeah, it's a very long-winded way of saying the token black guy yeah. for optics. That's right. really what that is. It's so gross. Yeah. But also like Gary seems to be pretty good at this too. So yes. it's like, God damn it. Can you just like, ugh. And he says at one point, he's like, I think I found my calling. Yeah, like, I think I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. So, of course, the killer doesn't come forward. But the next day after this press conference, there's another fucking murder. Her name is Vanessa Mack. She's a 25-year-old single mom of two girls. The same thing, working, also going to school. And we meet Barbara Rippey. Yes. And she helped Vanessa with her kids. You guys, Barbara Rippey is the cranky old lady next door neighbor that I'm going to be in about 20 years. Let me tell you, she says a quote that I can see myself saying in a little bit. 
So Barbara Rippey helps Vanessa with the kids. I also love the casting of the reenactment Barbara Rippey. Because it's great. like a dead ringer. She's great. I bet Barbara easily could have done her own scenes. I know. She's like, I'm, I don't want to. <laughs> Gary's like, it's pretty great. You should do this. They have like sandwiches for lunch and shit. Awesome. They're like, it's catered food. Yeah. Barbara Rippey's like at the craft service just putting like sandwiches in her purse. Yeah. She's like, I'll just take these, Gary. I get to go home three hours before you do, buddy. So Barbara helps Vanessa with her Someone kids. Someone tries to stop Barbara Rippey from taking them, but then Dee walks over to the craft service's table. And everyone's like, oh, shit. Okay. Sorry. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, Would God, you like I'm more? Sorry. We can we can make more. We can heat this up. Uh, what did I do? What did I know I did something. I know I did something. I'm in trouble, aren't I? So Barbara Rippey helps Vanessa with her kids, and she'd get the baby at 6 a.m. She's like the amazing next to a neighbor who's not related to Vanessa. She's just helping. Right. So, I'm not doing that when I'm that old cranky old neighbor. No, you're not doing it now. No. <laughs> Who are you kidding? Oh, come on. You are up, I know, earlier than six. <laughs> six is basically lunchtime. We've heard it before. So she gets there at 6 a.m. The door is wide open. Yeah. And she's like, that's weird. The yeah. stove light is on. The baby is alone in the living room on the couch in the, the dark. The reenactment actor baby is very happily watching TV. Adorable, too. Know, like this beautiful, so beautiful little face. Yeah. And so Barbara walks in and she says to the baby, who cannot even talk yet. And I said, what the hell are you doing on the couch? Where's your mama? That's exactly what I said. This is exactly <laughs> what I would do. I remember I worked in a bar uh-huh. where a mouse ran in and uh-huh. I was like, what are you doing in here? You don't belong in here. We're, we're all going to get in trouble. Like, I, that is exactly, exactly what I would do. Talk to the baby. And that's also how I talk to children now, just like they're my sure. age. Yeah, that's true. Just like, hey, what's up? Like, what's this all about? You what guys should doing? see a conversation, like a FaceTime between Jillian and Daisy. It's pretty epic. <laughs> I just, I talk to them like they're people because yeah. they are. So Barbara is walking through the house trying to get to the bottom of this and she finds Vanessa strangled. So this is the fourth strangulation victim in 12 months. Yeah. So Barbara grabs the baby, calls 911. The other daughter was with her father. And the case is looking pretty similar to Brandy Henderson's case, which is the first case we learned about in the stock. And they're like, once again, no forced entry into the house, but he emptied her purse. This feels new to me. Like, like he emptied her purse looking for credit or debit cards. This guy emptied her purse. Yeah. So the cops are like, let's look in her purse because they don't know how many credit cards she has or right. like what's missing. Yeah. So then they go to the bank. Yeah. They're like, hey, did he use any cards or write any checks? You guys, the bank card was used. We fucking have something finally. It's unbelievable. Like, like this feels very sloppy for a person who's gotten away with murder for years. I know. So, like, the bank card was used. We get a photograph, which is a fucking joke. You can yeah. barely see it. It's, it's just like a blob. A 1990s ATM photo. I mean, which are are it's weirdly better than this one <laughs> than today because they look like they're from the 60s. But they see one thing: yes. this gold cross, this earring that he's wearing, which is kind of amazing because, like, they say that he went to efforts to like block hide his face but you would think like the distinctive gold fucking earring like the glistening ear yeah the glistening earring and the voiceover is like the picture is not enough to make an ID yeah no shit (laughs) it never is he looks like he's wearing a COVID mask too oh does he remember when it was weird to see people in those masks no (laughs) it's weird when I'm watching a show and I'm like why are they at a party and no one's wearing a mask oh my god God. no one has sanitized their hands in this entire 22 minute sitcom that came out in 1998 so the crime scenes are getting more violent and they're getting messier, just like you said. Like, what's going on? And Detective Gary is finally saying, like, our instincts are telling us there's another clue out there that we haven't found that link all of these cases together. Our instincts are telling us that there's a clue out there that we haven't found that will link these cases together. So they're starting to be like, this has got to be one fucking guy, right? Right. So they're trying to nail down a timeline for Brandy's murder. So the timeline in the episode was a little confusing to me. Yeah. We are now back to basically the night of Brandy's murder. And they're trying to piece together a timeline. And she's on the phone with her cousin George. And George is here. That night that we were on the phone together, we were talking. She was trying to urge me, nudge me to come and see her. And she was begging me, come on, come on, come on. You know, have fun. She asked me to hold on. She came back and said she had to get off the phone because someone wanted to call her boyfriend, Lamar, at work. She comes back and she's like, George, I got to go. Someone needs to use the phone to call Lamar, her boyfriend, at work. And Lamar's not going to be home till after midnight. So George is like, you know what? I'm too tired, girl. I'm going to stay in. And they say, I love you to each other. And then they hang up. They're so cute. And so, but now, of course, everyone thinks Lamar, the boyfriend, did this. But I'm also like, what about the guy who saw her last? Like the fucking guy that George heard coming in. Well, yeah, like, excuse, like knocking on the door to use your phone to call Lamar at work. Like, it's 
very strange and very scary sounding. Yes. And Lamar, if you remember, like how this whole episode opens, he's the one who like came home yeah. and found his fucking 10-month-old with the towel around his neck. And, and then saved found- his life and yes. then found his the love of his life in a... Ugh. And so like he's in the interrogation room and he's a wreck. Understandably a wreck. Yes. Even Gary's like... You have to understand, he just found his infant son with something tied around his neck. Then he just found his girlfriend dead. Is this person going to be calm? No, he's not. Is he going to be calm? Of course not. Gary gets it. And so they ask him, who would Brandy have let into the apartment? Yes. Who was the person who lied to her saying, I need I need to use your phone? Even though it's like always the boyfriend or the husband, they are very quickly like, oh, not him. He didn't yeah. do it. This, this yeah, poor they, fucking guy. Yeah, they said like even early on, like he was cleared. Yeah. I feel like one of them was like, oh, this poor son of a bitch. I know. This poor guy. Siri, can you imagine? No. Like, I can't even imagine. And now, not only have you like lost the love of your life, now you're a fucking single parent. Oh my God. And just, I can't imagine, like one of those visuals is scary and, and traumatizing enough and he yeah. has two of them. The poor thing. So Lamar gives the cops three names. Elijah Rule, George Burrell, the cousin, George yeah. we met, and Henry Wallace. I just gotta say, one of these guys is the killer. I don't think it was necessarily the right thing to give us all three names. You know what I mean? Well, it's called Bad Henry. Okay. <laughs> right? You make a fair point. You know, Henry Wallace. So the cops have already spoken to cousin George. They're like, oh God, no, let's. this yeah. guy's gotta go to bed now. Some water. The, again, again, this poor guy. So Cut they, to George. He's actually out at Musical Mondays with his friends. Right. They're like, Elijah and George are totally clean. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, shocking. Right. So let's focus on Henry, shall we? Henry has a larceny, like a shoplifting charge. Nothing major. It's a small charge. I gotta say, they're not immediately like, oh, it's a black guy who has mm-hmm. like a criminal history. It's gotta be him. They are, at least in the telling of it now, they're like very open-minded. Right. And so Gary tells Detective James about this Henry Wallace guy. Yeah. And James is like, wait a minute. Can I see that mugshot again? Yeah. And Detective James realizes, oh my God. I looked at the photograph and something hit me. I saw the earring with the cross. He has the same gold cross earring like the guy from the ATM from Vanessa Mack's murder. It's kind of amazing that, like, he saw that. And so Detective Gary says, essentially, at this point, for everyone keeping score at home, we need to find this Henry person. <laughs> yes. This Henry son of a bitch. Again, like, very sloppy. Like, you've been getting away with murder for two years. Take out the fucking earring. And as they're meeting, they get a call about yet another murder. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Oh, my God. And this starts to happen really fast, And you it's guys. the same apartments where Brandy was found. So we have a fucking serial killer on our yeah. hands, right? Who's like killing like on the hour it seems like at this point yeah so her name is Betty Jean Balcom she's 24 years old also strangled yeah and she was robbed he didn't just like go through her purse he took her TV VCR money a gold chain (laughs) you guys I know not all of you were alive or like of age to remember this in the 90s but like to fucking carry out a TV and a VCR in the 90s requires more than one person yeah they were gigantic like the TV like you guys are looking at your plasma monitors that weigh a pound TVs in the 90s were like 15 pounds girl I am gonna tell you something horrifying Oh, God. There are children listening who don't know what a VCR is. I know. They don't know what a tape is. They have no idea. They only know it because of Stranger Things. You know what I mean? 1,000%. But hey, if that's how they have to learn about Ghostbusters, great. At least they know. (laughs) Getting an education. So they have more than 60 investigators on the scene, like all hands on deck, they say right? everybody with a detective badge get to the scene. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Yeah. So like, <laughs> and look, there are two murders in the same complex and this guy's still on the loose. Yeah. Sergeant Rick is just like. What I told the public was not to let anybody into the residence, not to be alone if at all possible, but under no circumstances to let anybody into the residence, even if they knew him. Everybody, just be afraid of everyone. Don't let anyone in your house, even if you know them. Everybody, say it with me. We're going to be terrified of everyone we know 24 hours a day. Learn it, love it, live by it. Okay? I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I was the chief of police in Charlotte in 1993. Uh-huh, sure. I was too. Just be terrified of everyone all the time, 24 hours a day. You are never safe. Never safe. Oh my God. Don't let anyone in your house, even if even you know if you them. Know them. <laughs> Can you don't imagine? worry about it, Sergeant Rick, whatever your name is. I'm okay. <laughs> That's another thing I see in shows that I'm like, what's with the stop by? Who's yeah. stopping by? I know. Pick up a phone, even in 1992. Pick up a phone. So let's learn a little bit about Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace is Brandy's friend. He has that shoplifting charge. Yeah. He's wearing that earring that's a gold cross, right? And Gary says he's got no known address and a small drug problem. <laughs> right. So they're looking everywhere for Henry Wallace. And in the meantime, they have to find Betty's car, our latest victim. Yeah. So they're looking for the car. They get a call from a concerned citizen who's like, is that the car right there across the street from the complex? Now, for me, that's odd. We have every detective in an apartment at this crime scene 
and then the killer brings the car back and parks it across the street. Now this makes me believe that the suspect is playing a cat and mouse game and actually taunting us. Whoever the killer is is now taunting the cops because he brought the car back literally in front of 60 police officers and none of them noticed. And parked it and just walked away. Yeah. So actually, but this is important. So rewind to a year ago, Shauna Hawk's car. Yeah. No prints, no evidence, no nothing. Just the seat location. Right. She was short. He was tall. Yeah. So they process Betty's car. It's wiped clean again. They don't find anything. But they get a palm print on the trunk. Guess who it belongs to? And I love how Gary says this, because he's saying it to the two of us. So now, who does that palm print belong to? Henry Lewis Wallace. Henry Henry Lewis Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, I know. It's called Bad Henry. (laughs) But I kind of love that, because I appreciate the mild spoiler, because it's like, at least they get this guy. Yeah, yeah, At least we know who he is. It's not like, and we'll never know. Were they looking to do, like, a Bad Henry, like a Dirty John kind of thing? Like, the title sucks. This guy fucking killed 100 people. Wait till you hear what Wikipedia has named him. I can't (laughs) stand it. Just wait. You want to tell me now? The Taco Bell killer. What? Because one of them, because Shauna worked at Taco Bell, I think it's so disrespectful. Oh, my God. I think it's so disrespectful to the other victims, to Shauna, to everyone. Fuck it. The Taco Bell Killer. Yep. Wikipedia did that? No, it's like what, I learned about it on Wikipedia. Oh my God. It's like Henry Wallace, also known as the Taco Bell Killer. Nope, (laughs) I'm not doing it. He's bad Henry. So the cops are not releasing his name to the media, but everyone is in a panic and no one has any idea what's going on. And someone's like, I grew up in New York and I thought this was going to be like a safe haven out here. And apparently there is no safe haven anymore. Look, I left New York because I thought Charlotte was safe. (laughs) Looks like there's no such thing as safe. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. Looks like I can't escape it. Look, I left when the Son of Sam was there. Let me tell you, there was a blackout. It was hot as hell that summer. Oh, my God. So they learned that Brandy, one of our victims, her boyfriend, Lamar, knows this guy. So they talked to Lamar, and he's like, I know that Henry Wallace has a girlfriend named Sadie. And Henry just broke up with Sadie. Yeah. So the cops go to talk to Sadie. I think it was kind of the other way around. Well, yeah. Well, at first, Sadie's like, Henry is so kind and loving and sweet. Yes. He's basically someone you'd always let into your apartment. Yes. Yeah. And so then they start laying out all the photos and the information about the murders. And she's like, oh, my God, I know most of these women. Yes. Holy shit. Yes. And they broke up because he was like battling drug addiction. Right. And he doesn't have a known address. There's no sign of him anywhere. And 48 hours after Betty gets murdered, yeah. Sergeant Rick gets another call and it's another fucking murder. And her name is Deborah Slaughter. And it's a half a mile from where Betty and Brandy live mm-hmm. in that apartment complex. Like it's all happening all around them. He's right under their noses. Exactly. It's it's so frustrating. The leads aren't going anywhere. And eventually they just get a tip that's like, hey, um, so Henry Wallace is hiding out at this address you should go there (laughs) it's half a mile away from that from deborah who was just murdered like he's right here here's where you should go and the cops are like all right yeah let's check it out and they track him down they see him outside of this house i guess wallace saw us outside and he gets a little scared so wallace cowardly went to the bathroom and we found him hiding inside that resident's bathroom this was a very Charles Manson when he hid under the sink. Oh, my God. But what would have happened if they didn't get that phone call? Thank God for that phone call. I know. I know. So they get him, and they bring him downtown. And, you know, at this point, he's the prime suspect in Brandy and Betty's murders, but they don't have him on anything else. Right. And so the cops are like... Our profile of what we thought he was was a psychopath, and they have no remorse, and sympathy approaches don't work on them. He's definitely a psychopath. He has no remorse. Like, emotions aren't working on him. Right. So what they need to do is they start... This is kind of fascinating. They start off by getting Henry to admit that he knows these women. So they don't ask, like, if he knows Brandy. It's when did you first meet Brandy? Exactly. And so Henry Wallace just gives them everything. I know. He's like, oh, yeah, I knew Lamar. And that's how I knew Brandy. And she was a super sweet girl, like, honest, supportive. Like, what? And they're like, hey, so, all right, cool. Like, when would you meet Betty? And he's like, oh, she worked at Bojangles. I met her over at Bojangles. (laughs) Oh, do you know what kind of car she she has? Yeah, absolutely. I know what kind of car she has. He's just answering everything. Everything. And and then, like, the victims that they don't even have him on, they're like, well, what about that Deborah Slaughter? When'd you meet her? Oh, you know, I would just go to her house and drink beer with her. We would talk about the old times. And all kinds of crazy stuff. What? I know. So it's really painting a picture. He knew these women pretty well. Yeah. Because what happens is they're like... Detectives now refocus their attention on their most substantial piece of physical evidence, Wallace's palm print on Betty Balcom's car. So at this point, he believes... That he's wiped down the car, so he is absolutely confident. And we're back and forth. 
well, Henry, we got your prince. And he's like, no, no, you don't have my prince inside the car. And we say, well, no, we don't have him inside the car, Henry. We have him outside the car, Henry. And that's all it takes. Yeah. Because this dude breaks down. And then... So Tony's looking at Wallace, and Wallace looking at Tony. And he looks at Tony, and he said, Tony, I f***ed up. Tony says, are you a Christian? Wallace says, I would like to think I am. Tony at that point says, okay, let us say a prayer together. You know what? Let's start praying. And I'm like, fast forward. (laughs) You're going to start praying with this fucking serial killer? You know, I thought that was gross too. But then at the same time, it's like whatever it takes to establish trust. Whatever it takes. You know what I mean? Whatever it takes. I hate Henry. Can you imagine you and I standing outside an interrogation room and like we're the key to the whole thing? And they're like, Patrick and Jillian, he's going to admit it, but you got to go in there and pray with him. I would do it in a heartbeat. (laughs) If that's Truly, if that's all it took, 1,000%. But it's like, I thought he gave you everything. He's answering questions left and right. I know, I know. But then he says to his best friend Tony, girl, I can't tell you. Like, give me a piece of paper. I'm going to write some shit down. Yeah, so he he starts writing these names and suddenly they're like, who's a Valencia jumper? He, he's naming, he's writing down names they they didn't even know about. Literally, these are the names. Caroline Love, Shauna Hawk, Audrey Spain, Valencia jumper, who we've never heard of, Michelle Stenton, Betty B, Brandy, Vanessa Mack, Deborah Slaughter. And we see the actual paper. It's, it's crazy. His handwriting is beautiful. Yeah. Is, is he? Is it? <laughs> yeah. They're shocked. That really caught you off guard. I was like, what? Did you just use the word beautiful I, to describe anything I'm about this? I'm just saying he had nice handwriting. <laughs> I honestly didn't. I was so focused on the fact that we're like seeing this piece of paper. Is it really nice? Yeah, the, I love you so much because you're just willing to agree with anything I say. And that really got you off guard. But then I'm like, no, wait a second. What? Say that one more time. So he knew every one of these women. And they're like, um, Valencia Jumper? Can we get into that? I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on (laughs) the look. (laughs) Usually I am so good with the visuals. Like, usually I can Uh visualize it. And it's like, I never saw it. You go. You went, yeah. Wait, wait." and like you (laughs) almost fell out of your chair. (laughs) It really, it it was a millisecond, but it was a journey. It was like a lot happened. <laughs> God. And so Henry Wallace explains all of these murders. It takes 10 hours. Yeah. And Sergeant Rick's like, The memory recall of serial killers, particularly psychopathic serial killers, they are uncannily recall a lot of detail. Their recall is truly unmatched. This guy gives horrible, horrible details like it's nothing. Yeah. No emotion at all. And like we learn about Valencia Jumper. There had been a fire on August 10th, 1993, and they found her body in the fire and they had ruled it an accident, which just means they didn't fucking look into it that much. And then now it's ruled a homicide. It's just like they're saying these things like, oh, we investigated it. We ruled it like an accident. No. No. The reason you ruled it an accident was because you didn't fucking look. And again, what would have happened if that person didn't call with the tip? I no. Okay. I know. So what about Caroline Love? Like, first of all, where's her body? Right. And but here's the thing. Remember earlier when we were like, pay attention to the sister and the roommate and the roommate's friend and the roommate's boyfriend. The yeah. roommate's boyfriend was a thing. Yeah. It was Henry and his girlfriend. Henry is the roommate's boyfriend. Yeah, who went to file the missing persons report for Caroline Love. And like Henry was the big brother to all these women. Yeah. And at one point, Dee's like, I kept seeing flashes of Shauna's picture on the, the news that day. And then I kept seeing him. Henry Wallace. And then it came back to me. It all started coming back. My God, he hugged me. He told me he was sorry for what had happened. Like, all of the relatives of these victims remember him. Like, he was at their funerals. Like, he so was helping not in the only, searches. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, not only was he under the cops' noses the whole time, he was involved and comforting the families. This guy is the fucking worst. Yeah. And, and, oh, speaking of the backlog, yeah. it turns out he sexually assaulted every single fucking one of them. Yeah. And he covered it up because he would dress them back up after to make it look like they didn't need a sexual assault evidence kit. Yeah. And the cops are like, we did them anyway but they got lost in the fucking backlog i will say it again and the backlog.org i'm telling you i and i say this sincerely turn every fucking dunkin donuts into a fucking lab why don't we have more labs i I really don't get it because it's also we need people to work them Uh also like truly i wish i could say like there would be so 
many volunteers for this, but the volunteers can only go so far. I know a bunch of brilliant poor kids who would love to go to Harvard to get their fucking, <laughs> yeah, like, right, right, right. you know totally. what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ, is, I that, know. is that all it's going to take? I know. 19 hours after Henry Wallace was arrested, he takes the cops to Caroline Love's remains. So yes. there's, I mean, I hate to even use the word closure, but we know what happened to her. Yeah. So the way this ends, in 1997, Henry Wallace was convicted of nine counts of first-degree murder, eight counts of rape. He was sentenced to death. He was never tried for the murders of Sharon Nance or Tashonda Bethea, who's another name that we just, like, learn of in the last two minutes. Yeah. And the city's, like, not loving how the cops handled this, of course, so they get, like, a lot of shit for it. And they're like, well, we changed some things, you know? We had the token black guy, that's important, and we added some new detectives (laughs) and some new standards for working with families, if that helps. And they're like, it it, it does, but it doesn't. Right. (laughs) And he's still on death row, this guy. He's still on death row to this day? Yep. Wow. I told you emotions were running high today. I don't know. I was honest from the very beginning. I don't want to hear about it. Oh my God, you guys, we did Bad Henry. I still take umbrage with the title. Like, let's find a worse word than bad. But again, if bad is like the best he is, I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? We can only go down from there, and I appreciate that. You guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. We love making our Patreon episodes. We're about to record the last episode of Heist. I know. And then we're going right into Lula Rich, you guys. I mean, it's a rip-roaring good time. It's where we do all of the long-form episodes from Netflix and Oxygen, Hulu, all of those. They're all there. Yeah. You can get ad-free versions of these episodes, all the stuff. After parties. It's just like fun times. Hang we give sash. advice sometimes, you know? Yeah. What are we doing next, girl? Oh, fruitcake fraud. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I had it written you down guys, and highlighted and everything. Oh ID has been reaching out to us about this for forever. It's not out yet. We're getting it like, are we getting it early? Yeah, we have it today. Oh my God. So do you know anything about it? I know that it's a fruitcake fraud. I know. Okay. I, it takes place in Texas <laughs> and this guy was like money laundering with fruitcakes or something. Great. It's just a You're whole thing. You're talking about the actual food and not homosexuals. I'm talking about the food, okay. yes. <laughs> but who knows? You know. I haven't watched all of it. I'm only about halfway through. Oh, my God. All right. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our hilarious outtakes. Follow us on the Instagram. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore. Follow me there. You're Jillian with a G on everything. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's it's it. it's those words. It's Jillian with a G. With a G. It's not just like Jillian, which I wish I could have had, but <laughs> oh. I don't. All right. We love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. What Dom Perignon on is to champagne, Collins Street Bakery is to fruitcake. We've been making fruitcakes now for the past 125 years. Collins Street Bakery is about a $30 million a year business in terms of total sales. They make good bank off of fruitcake. There was a few years they didn't understand why the bakery wasn't making money. We knew something was wrong. Certainly nothing bad on this scale had ever happened at the bakery before. When everything came to light, we were all standing there stunned. A very significant crime has occurred. There is a lot of money at stake. A whole lot of stealing. The numbers were continuing to build. And we're starting to think, when is this number going to end? It can't be that much money, but it was. I'm like, holy guacamole, this this is a big case. Wait, is the snorting really, really bad in the headphones? You know what? I don't even, like a parent, I I truly don't even hear it. And that is not a lie. You know I would tell you, I'd be like, I can't, we can't do this. I need to pause this. I don't even hear it anymore. I don't think taking three days off necessarily means that you're going anywhere because that can also be a fucking nightmare. Maybe she just wanted three days off from not dealing with that manager who clearly doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Oh, by the way, your sister hasn't, I haven't heard from her in three days and I didn't tell anybody. You know how important those first couple hours are of the case? Yes. You dummy. I was like, is that meant to be like a, uh, what do you call it when like the first letters of the word spell out a thing? An acronym? Yeah, like mad, like mothers against driving drunk. And I was like, mothers of murdered offspring, that's Momo. No, I think she's just say, telling you exactly what it is. Okay. She doesn't mince words. She doesn't need you to waste her no. precious time trying to M-O. No, it's just mothers of murdered offspring. That's all it is. She's very clear. She is. You're right. My bad. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you apologize to Misty. Uh, Misty, I am very sorry. I don't know if she accepts that's up to Misty. I don't know. <laughs> 